0: Hey, if this is your first time, my name is Pastor Glenn. I'm great, great to have. I'm just totally kidding. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here, um, but it's great having you here. We know that it can be a little uncomfortable um, where you walk into a place where it seems like everybody knows each other, um, but we don't. We don't know each other at all. Uh, give us a month, friends, and just reach out to people, and we'll reach back, and we'll just, we'll just. We'll see if this is where God has you. We would love for this to be your family, if you're looking for a family. Um, it's, like I said, it's great having you here this weekend. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Hope you had a great time with family and friends celebrating the birthday of our nation. If you do me a favor, take your Bibles if you have them, or take out your phones if you want to use your Bible on your phone. I am not against that. Uh, I don't know why people are, but whatever it takes to look at God's Word. If you didn't bring either one, uh, there's a Bible in front of you, or they'll be up on the screen like they usually are. Um, let's pray, and then we'll jump into today. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've given us your commandments. And we look at 10. I mean, you gave Moses 10 and then explained after all these laws uh, pr- to protect your people. And I pray, God, that you would give clarity to us, that we would understand you and understand the reasons behind it. God, open our hearts to it. I, I feel like with this one, it is so easy for us to kind of get kind of get caught up in what we've always thought it to be, and I know I did, until I heard this preached, and it just changed things. You showed me a depth to this commandment that I'd never seen before. So, God, I pray uh, that only your opinion is brought forth. God, I pray that anything that's of me would be forgotten by the time we get to the cars. But only you, Jesus. Only you. We love you. We pray this in your name. And everyone says, amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. We're continuing our series through the Ten Commandments. Um, If you just join us, this is your first week. Kind of a recap. Um, if you look at how many of how you grew up, at least kind of hearing, the oh, you've got to follow the Ten Commandments. Anybody? Even if you're brought church, maybe this is one of your first times in church, or maybe you're back. I mean, you, you kind of went to church maybe back, back in the day, and something happened. I don't know, the usher was rude, and it's like, I'm done. And now you've come back and totally understand that. Uh, welcome. But at least we've heard of the Ten Commandments. And a lot of times what we do, not just we as Christians, but kind of like everyone who's trying to be moral, we look at the Ten Commandments, do the ten <clears throat> to get heaven. Do the 10 to get heaven. But do you realize that in the book of Exodus, heaven's never mentioned. Isn't that weird? It never mentions heaven. God never talks about heaven. We have to realize that God gave these commandments to the people that he had already chosen to follow him and to do the things that he says to do. Why? To bless. Why does God give us commandments? Why not just let us run free? Because he loves us. He knows we're going to get into trouble. I have limits on my kids. Why? Because I love them. So when Tyler was 2, as he's walking toward the the outlet, the electrical outlet, I didn't look and go, you got to learn. Here's a fork. No, no, in, put it it come here Tyler, put it in here. Ah, don't do that. It hurts. No, I had limits. Don't stick a fork in the outlet. Dylan, don't ride your bike on the freeway. That's where all the fast cars are, Dad. I know, but you're going to die. And I want you to live. I mean, think about it. Why would God give us commandments just to take what? Our joy or to increase our joy? That God gives his commandments. Why? Because he's a loving father who actually has our ultimate joy in mind. The one who created everything might actually have a clue how to live it so we are experiencing the most out of it. And so he gives Moses the top 10. And he starts with, hey, there's no other gods before me. And it's so, it's so easy for us to go, absolutely, there are no other gods. But how easy is it for us to take the blessings of God, elevate them to be more important than the God who gave us the blessing? So he says, there's no other gods. Don't put anything else before me. Friends, if we would just do that first thing, just recognize God. Everything after that, everything after that first command should be what? Yes, sir. Whatever you say. You said to do it, I'll do it. Why? Because you're God. I mean, think about it. God says, no one before me. Doesn't that sound a little bit arrogant? Can you imagine me looking saying, hey, I'm number one to you. I know you're married, but they're number two. I'm number one. Wouldn't you think I'm a jerk? Don't answer altogether. That's great. Thanks. And here comes God saying, no one before me. But if it's true and God says it, is he being rude or arrogant? No, he's just stating the truth. There's no other gods. There's not a God in the universe. There's, not, there's nothing else out there. It's not like I'm the ultimate of all the little gods under here. I'm the only one. But do me a favor, don't let anything come before me. Why? Because I am the ultimate joy of life. I'm the ultimate. I'm the greatest good to everything. So here's the thing, if I decrease God in my life as priority and increase something that is not the greatest good, guess what I am not experiencing? The greatest good. Now, is this one of those health and wealth gospel? You know, just accept Jesus and whoa, get a million dollars. No, but can't, nothing. think about it. If you've gone through a trial and you've kept God elevated, you don't like the midst of the trial, but when you look back, can you see how God has brought you through it? That the greatest good has actually shown up in reality and blessed, even though it's been so hard and you wouldn't want to repeat it. But God says, you keep me the greatest good and I'll bless you with the greatest good, which is me. That's what God tells us. So no other gods. But then two, don't make some carved image to represent me. Don't take a symbol and make sure that that's the symbol that you have to look at in order to worship me because this is what happens. We make a carved image, that becomes the size of God. So we don't ask God for the impossible. We don't live the life that is outside the box, so huge because God is that big. We go, okay, it's this big. God is this big. Don't use anything to try to represent me. God says, let me be limitless. Just let me be. Isn't that what he told Moses? Remember in Exodus chapter three, Moses is out just watching sheep. What a great job. Because I don't know if you know, cheap or, they don't do much. They just, they're stupid. They just sit around and they eat, which I'm going to be honest, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Your whole job is to eat and just get plump. I mean, the fatter the better. And you just get a coat and they use that, they use your skin, the coat, your fur to make, you know what I'm talking about, clothes. But then they eat you, but that would be the bad part. But you just walk around and eat. And that's all he does, he's watching sheep for 40 years. He's in Egypt, he has a high place in the family. Then he leaves and for 40 years he's watching sheep. And all of a sudden he sees this bush on fire, which honestly, if you're watching sheep all day, somebody said to go, so what if the bush is on fire? When you're watching sheep all day, that's like a commercial. That's a Super Bowl commercial, Right? I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that. When he gets closer, guess what? It's not burning. There's this fire, but it's not burning. So he puts his marshmallows away. I added that. But so he looked, and all of a sudden, God starts to speak. He says, take your shoes off, which seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, he just because there's a fire, he's like, take your shoes off. What was he saying? Hey, don't, don't approach this time like you approach every other time. Now somebody's sitting there and go, see, that's what we're supposed to do. Did you take your shoes off when you came in here ready to worship? Well, no, I was rushing. I was busy. I know. We can make laws, and I'll get into this. This is what the passage is about. We can make laws that God never intended. He just says, hey, treat this time as different than the rest of your day. This is a holy moment. He says, this is what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you go before the most powerful person on the planet and you're going to go walk up to him and say hey let the hundreds of thousands of slaves go just cuz i said so can you imagine going before the most powerful king queen on the planet just walk in and say god tells me to tell you to let your whole workforce go have a good day and then walk off and so moses is terrified and some said they go i wouldn't be you're a liar I mean, it's hard enough but just for us to tell one person in, in, in line at Starbucks about Jesus. But when God says, hey, I want you to go, go before the most powerful person and free hundreds of thousands of people and just say because God said so. And Moses starts thinking of excuses. remember that one. He says, um, okay, well, when I get there and they ask, well, who sent, sent me? Then who should I say sent me? Like, what's your name? Has anyone ever wondered why he would actually bring that up? That just seems weird. Why can't he just say, well, God told me? Until you realize that there are so many cultures in that day that believed if you had that secret name of God, you could control that deity. So here comes Moses going, what's that secret name so I can control you? Because wouldn't it be great if God said, do this, and then you could control him to make sure he came through with what he told you to do? But all of a sudden he puts you in things and situations where all of a sudden it feels like he he didn't follow up. He didn't finish his part of the deal, so he says, "What's that secret name?" And it's like God says, "None of your business," but just to satisfy you, just tell him "I am sent me." I am. That's bad grammar. I am what? I mean, it's one thing I was, but I am. I am what? So I'd be Moses. Well, I am. I am what? Just I am. And it's actually written. I just read this this morning. It's actually written in the third person, so it's like he said he was. That'd be a weird thing to say. Hey, well, who said to come? He was. So just do it. Because sa- he said he was. The whole thing that he tried to get his attention with, Exodus chapter 3, was what? His presence. I am what? I am with you. Because that's the next thing he encourages him with. You're going to go do something that is so scary, but get this: I am with you. I'm able I can do anything. And how often over your life, for those of you who are following Jesus, where you can actually look and go, yeah, he was, yeah, he was there then. Oh, and then we hit this part, and he was there then. Isn't that just a testimony? That's all he's saying. And then he does it. See, we wish we could just take God and just fit him in this little thing. Whatever it is, that symbol, we gotta have that, because that's when I know it's God. God's like, please don't limit me to this. Let me be limitless. And then we get into this one. And I don't know if you're gonna be honest. I asked the last service, and I, I don't think they were totally honest with me. Okay? Here's the, here's the verse. You shall and this sounds so Bible. It sounds so Bible. I gotta feel like I got a deeper voice. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, how many of you sit there and look at that and go, what the heck does that mean? I don't even use the word vain anymore. Unless it's in my leg like a varicose. That's all I use it for. But vain? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So we say that. So that's that number three. That made three on the list. So by a show of hands, let's see how honest we are. How many of you? I'm right there with you until I heard this message. How many of you just said, okay, what that means? You don't use God's name like a catchword." Anybody? Yeah, the rest of you just had it all figured out. Or you're lying, and that's a whole nother deal. I mean, that's what I was always just, okay, so if I slam, if thou take a hammer and slam the hammer in thy hand, thou shalt not say, oh, my God. That's all it means. Number four, move on. Think about it. But isn't that easier to do? Just don't say the words. We're so about the words. Just don't say those words. Don't say that word, and then there's like four or five other words that we're not allowed to say. Just just stay away from those. Who cares if our life looks like we love Jesus? Just don't say the words. Don't say the nasties. So you can't say, oh my, it even feels weird to say, oh my God, even as I'm teaching this, because I'm not using it in a derogatory way, or to take Jesus Christ and use it as a cuss word. I mean, doesn't that just feel awkward? You've just been in a setting, and someone says, and you're like, oh, that one just stings a little bit. And then if you looked and said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord of God in vain. Now, I don't believe that we can. And I don't believe that we should. I don't believe we should turn Jesus' name into a cuss word. But not because of that commandment. I don't think that commandment has anything to do with that. I don't think we use Jesus' name as a cuss word. Why? Because we love Jesus. I would be ticked off if someone used my wife's name as a cuss word. Ah, oh, Kelly! What? Like you couldn't think of it out, Just use my wife's name. But it's not because it's list verse. But we're so quick. Okay, that's just what it means. Number four. And I wonder if we've missed it. Because I feel like it's so much more and it's so much deeper than that. We're so used to thou, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I feel like the NIV gets a better translation here where it says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. Now am I saying that God's name is not holy? No. One of my favorite topics to teach anywhere is the holiness of God. I love it. I love trying to unpack and I'll never get close to truly unpacking the majesty and the glory and the grandeur of God. But for us to walk out and go, I don't know how to pray to that God. I love that. Because all of a sudden God got big again. Because you ever find yourself where God gets really tiny? So therefore you start asking tiny things and you start treating him like he is tiny as if you could actually control him. But when he gets big, oh, everything's possible again. So when it feels hopeless, it's totally hopeful. Why? Because God is massive and he's huge and beyond me. That's why he says, don't create a carved image. So I love teaching the holiness of God. That's one of my favorite things. I'm so thankful that there were scribes back in the Old Testament times that they would take the Old Testament and they would transcribe letter by letter, spacing by spacing the Old Testament so that we have this today. Example. They couldn't copy from memory. So this is your job, you're a scribe. Your whole job is this. Every day you get up, you go to work, you pull out the parchment you were working on. This is the one, this is, okay, I'm reading, I'm doing part of Isaiah. You have an original, you have Isaiah, your part. How many of you have ever written out a verse to someone and you try to get see how many words you can remember at once before you have to keep, before you have to look? Anybody? I'm like, okay, if I can't do more than three, I'm stupid. Like I failed. But if I get eight, oh photographic memory. I mean, man, I'm amazing. So it's like, okay, so I'll just I'll read it, then I'll get going. Read it, get, get a bunch of No, no, no. They go letter by letter. So it's kind of like G. Oh. D. Don't you just write that out from memory? They wouldn't do it. They would do letter by letter, word by word. They had a special kind of ink with a special kind of recipe. Had to be black and had to be this recipe only used for scripture nothing else. Between each letter, they would use a hair or a thread to make sure that the, the, the spacing was perfect. So they would write one letter. Look. They would move the thread over perfectly and then write the next one. And then move it over perfectly and write the next one. And when it came to writing the name of God, they would never write the name Yahweh. Ever. You would never say it. In fact, if I was, if I was back then and I did that right now, oh, they would have an issue with that. So they made this name for Lord. It's Adonai. So they would do this. How many of you noticed in your Bibles, they have that when it gets to the word Lord, it has capital L and then the small capital ORD. You see that? That's when it's supposed to be Yahweh. But they would write Adonai to make sure that they didn't say the word. Because isn't that how we are? Don't say, oh my God. But definitely, somebody's like, I couldn't even say, oh my gosh. Because that's like saying, oh my God. I mean, is it really? Like, example, my junior year, yearbook in high school, my name is Brian. You know what they spelled it? Brain. Brain. Now maybe it's because they just saw potential. (laughs) They just thought, man, this guy is brilliant. Call him Brain, Brain. I didn't look at that and go, Brain, Brian. Ah, it's the same thing. I'm like, really? It's called spell check. It's called Get a Friend. Hey, is this spelled right? Brian. B-R-A-I-N. Yeah, absolutely. We're both stupid. So we set up words to make sure we stay away from the word, right? So that's what they did there. So they would get to the name Lord, before they would write it, they would ceremonially take a bath. They would cleanse themselves. They would take a new pen, write the word, and get going. Now imagine if there's like 14 lords in one verse. You're just bathing all day. It's like, oh, ah. Oh my goodness gracious, it's no wonder it takes so long. There it is. And then you go back. Now how many of you are thankful that they were so meticulous with writing down the Old Testament? Anybody? How many are so thankful they were so respectful of the name of God? Anybody? How many of you use a new pen and bathe yourself before you quote some scripture that has the word Lord in it? Uh Uh-oh. You know, Brian, shut up. Don't judge. I'm not judging. But isn't it weird? We're thankful for them. We say, okay, that's how it should be, but we don't apply it to us. So then all of a sudden we take a verse like this. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't misuse the the name of the Lord. And we jump to a conclusion. It means don't use it like a cuss word. So we apply it to everyone else. But I think we've missed it. I still, again, I won't use it as a swear word. I can't. I love and respect Jesus too much, but not because of this verse. This is what I think it means. Don't associate God's name with something that God is not associated with. That's what it means. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. So don't associate God's name with something that God is not associated with. Don't leverage the name of God in order to accomplish something that God has nothing to do with. We don't misuse the name. If you've ever had this phone call, hey, it's good to talk to you. I'm from, oh, wait, we're Dave Ramsey. Oh, credit, I can't use this credit card analogy. But just pretend back in the day, hey, someone, this is so and so from Fraudulent Alert. Someone got your credit card number, they're using it. Are you okay with them spending $3,000 in your name? Oh, sure, absolutely. That'd be fine, totally fine. Yeah, where are they from? Belgium. Oh, that's great. That's great. What do they buy? A small car? Great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Have you ever done that? Are you that okay with your name being misused? See, I think that's the same thing as us misusing God, leveraging God's name in order to get something accomplished that God has nothing to do with. So here's an example, New Testament time. There's a point where Jesus is in the temple and he's watching this happening. People would come and present their sacrifice. They would look at one of the priests and say, "Okay, this is what we're offering." The priest makes sure that it's an okay sacrifice. It's acceptable. Can be without blemish. Has to be without blemish. Now, if they're just doing it the right way, in the holy way, then I understand that. But this is what they would do. Even if that animal that they brought in was without blemish, they would sit there and go, oh, you know what? This isn't quite right. You need one of our special ones. And it's good. It's, it's for you. I mean, it's a little more expensive. I mean, this costs you a dollar, but this one's like 60 bucks. But this is the only kind that's acceptable. So you have to pay us to get this so you can present a sacrifice to God. So why? Your, your sins can be forgiven. Yeah, come on, give me your money. And that's what they would do. I mean, over and over, they were just taking advantage of people. You said, they go, how is that leveraging the name of God to accomplish something that God's not part of? Think about it. They are priests on behalf of God, working in the temple of God, taking money away from people who are trying to present a sacrifice to God and worship God, but won't allow them to do it. Why? Because they could get a little money on their own. And Jesus is standing in the corner. Book of John tells us that he made a whip. That's a fantastic church service. Can you imagine Jesus just in the corner going, oh, no. Starts putting it together. Ah, I see you, Joe. Yeah, you're going to get jacked up. And just puts it together. It says that Jesus started going through and just going ballistic. And I don't think he made the whip so he could be all theatrical. My house, shall be a house of parish. I think he's going after people. I think he found Joe and went right after him. that one hurt. And he just started laying, laying tables over. This is what it says in the book of Luke chapter 19. He entered the temple, began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. This is one of the passages that shows Jesus where he is the most furious. Why? Because people who are supposed to be people of God were levering God's name to accomplish something that God had nothing to do with. There's another passage in Mark or Matthew chapter 15 where it says this, start in verse one. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Did you catch that? The tradition of the elders. It's just the opinion of these people that have lived for so long. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he, being Jesus, he answered them, and why do you break the command of God? Oh, oh man. Can you imagine them running up and going, Jesus, we have a real big issue with you. Your disciples, they're they're breaking our traditions. They're not washing their hands. Think about it. And then Jesus comes back and says, really? So why do you break the commands of God? Oh, crud. He's like, well, good thing I'm not about tradition. Have you ever used this phrase when change comes about the church? You know, I don't know if I like it because, you know, we've just never done it that way. We've never done it that way. Like, oh, I don't like the change. We've never done it that way. Welcome to the tradition of the elders. You now have it. You ever notice that maybe in order for Jesus to do a new thing, he might call us to do new things. If we're going to reach people for Jesus that don't know Jesus, we might have to do the things that nobody else is doing to reach them. So if all that we do is keep saying, oh, we've never done it that way. We've never done it that way. That is the exact same thing as what they're saying. So here comes Jesus. Why? Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. Did that make the top 10 list? Yeah, I did. How many of your parents sitting there going, I like that that's in there, right? It's like, oh, that's good. Kid gets out of line. Oh, oh, come here, come here, come here. Honor your father and your mother. Ah." And what's the punishment? Honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. That's a way to keep your kids in line. Hey, do this. Why? Because if you don't, I'll kill you. Hey, John, mom's got that look in her eye. You better just do it. Mom, put the meat cleaver down. We're okay, we're okay. Look what he says. You take the tradition, your traditions, and supersede them above what is clearly written in the scriptures to fulfill what it is that you want. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of God. So it's kind of like this. The person, their parents, I mean the parents raised them and provided, and all of a sudden the parents get a little bit older, can't take care of themselves, and the kid has 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 some wealth, can help provide for parents. That just seems right, doesn't it? Because this is what God expects his people to do. So this is what the this is what the religious the the religious people, this is what the the leaders said. Hey, this is what you can do. Just take your wealth, dedicate it all to God. That way there's this wealth that we can have when we need to get it out there or to us. And so when your parents come and say, hey, we're kind of down and out. We can't really take care of ourselves. Can you help? Oh, I would, but it's all dedicated to God. So the religious leaders set up this little thing that they could do to get out of having to help their parents. Even though scripture says, honor your father and your mother. How long? Till they're dead. That's what you do. So they took their own traditions. And made them supersede the commandments of God. I was reading Matthew. I was reading this passage, Matthew fifteen, a few days ago, as my quiet time. The first thing I wrote: Jesus, what traditions of mine have I elevated to commandments of God? And what commands of God have I decreased in order to live by my traditions or by my personal preferences? God, what is it? What is it that I've done? He said. Well, it doesn't happen that often. Think about it. You ever notice how easy it is for us as followers of Christ, as we stand for truth, to stand against those who don't follow Christ? Think about it. Isn't it weird as Christians that it it's so easy for us, to don't, for us to look at those who don't know Christ they haven't surrendered. They don't have the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're not free from sin. We look at people that don't know Jesus who are honestly supposed to be the mission. They're not our targets. We're not in war with people. We're in war with the enemy. We're in war with spiritual forces, the dark spiritual forces of this dark world. That's who we, that's who we combat. But people have never been the target. So to stand for truth, they stand against you. Because you don't live as a Christian. Does that make sense? How can a person who doesn't know Christ live as if they did know Christ? Well, they should know better. They should know better. Why? Did you know better before you knew Jesus? No, why? Because Ephesians chapter two tells us that before Christ, we were dead. It's really hard to know something if you're dead. I wasn't a pretty good person. There's no such thing as a good or bad person. It's just bad people in Jesus. So here's the commandment of God. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And it's so easy for us to look at the passage and go, but can I just go after the people I like? Like, go to the people you like. Because here's the thing. If that was the case, none of us would want Paul, the apostle, saved. Because you know what his hobby was? to arrest and kill Christians. I can't imagine sitting there going, oh, that guy hates me. He wants to kill me. Let's get him saved. But all of a sudden, Jesus saves him, brings him into a relationship with himself. He writes half the New Testament becomes the greatest missionary to ever walk the planet. Think about it. All the 12 apostles stayed where to do their ministry? Jerusalem. Can you picture Paul showing up going, hey guys, you got Jerusalem? You got this? The 12, you got this? Okay, Good. I'll take care of the rest. And takes the world. Don't you love Paul? It's so easy for us in the name of truth to forget the command of love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. We can devalue a command of God because of personal preferences or leveraging the name of God to accomplish something that God's not part of. But we can do the other side. I can elevate God's love so much, decrease his holiness and say, ah, it doesn't matter how you live, just love, love. Isn't that a great word? We don't even know how to define it. I know we don't know how to define it because we love pizza and we love our wives. Isn't that weird? Scripture teaches us how to love, what to do to love. But we can take a lifestyle that is not according to what Scripture has taught. We can say, okay, this is fine. And we can twist scripture to make it make sense. But it's weird. As people twist scripture and they take certain words, oh, this, this word means this, but it might not mean that. I've read some of these things as they're trying to convince me that sin is okay. I sit and go, what are you talking about? I feel like if God is revealing his will to a bunch of illiterate people, that he's gonna make it as clear as possible. Don't judge. Remember woman caught in adultery? Cast the first stone if you don't have any sin. Would have been weird if Jesus picked up rocks, right? Looked at the woman, and said, Hey, no one's here to throw a stone. No, they all left, and Jesus goes, boom, and kills her. Wouldn't that be weird? That's like a bad story. Oh, that's not the good story. But could he have done it? Absolutely. He's without sin. So I say, Oh, I'll cast the first stone if you don't have any sin. But do you remember what Jesus said? Neither do I condemn you. And then he says, What? Now go and leave your life of sin. It's both. This one's going to step on some toes. Ready? <laughs> but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be Sunday. Ready? Here we go. Christians in churches across the nation can to leverage the name of God in order to push their preference on a political party that God has nothing to do with. Oh, no, no, no. I saw him in line. We registered together. He was with me. I mean, he looked like a hippie because I had long hair, but he was there. Joshua chapter five, remember Joshua's about ready to go in to take Jericho. Says that he meets the commander of the Lord of the army, the Lord of the army, the host of heaven, which most scholars think is Jesus pre-incarnate. Looks at him and says, are you for them or for us? Are you for our enemies or for us? The commander of the, Lord, the, commander of the armies of the Lord says, no. That's all he says, no. It's like he's saying, I'm not here for you or for them. God is saying, I'm about me. So who would Jesus vote for? Jesus. Jesus would vote for Jesus. Our citizenship is first, we are citizens of heaven and therefore we live our lives as citizens of the king of the universe. That should be first and foremost our priority in everything that we do. Brian, is getting so bad. Do you think that there were times in the Bible where things weren't so bad? The mission hasn't changed. The God of the universe hasn't changed. He's in total control. So Christians, guess what? It's time for us to step up. Nothing has changed. What if we get persecuted? Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Happy. Happy are those who are persecuted. I think the whole commandment is, don't misuse my name. don't leverage my name and connect me to something so you can accomplish it. when I 'm not involved in it. don't misuse me. What's the punishment? You will not be held guiltless. What does that mean? What does that really mean? You'll not be held guiltless. That's what it means. So it's like this. He's saying, don't, don't, don't take your preferences and turn them into a list of do's and don'ts connecting my name to it so you can create your own religion. For we can create a religion of Christianity that is void of Christ and it is just as damnable and wrong as any other world religion if Jesus isn't involved in it. See, Christianity is just not worth it to me. But Christ, Christ is always worth it. He's always worth it. I don't want to be religious. I don't, think, I don't think God wants us to be religious. He wants us in a relationship with Himself, about His stuff, followers of Jesus. And here's the danger if we don't, we could spend so much time dismissing the laws of God in the name of God that we will miss God. We could spend so much time dismissing the laws of God, the prerequisites of God, the commandments of God in the name of God that we miss God. Give me an example. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, their whole job was to recognize the Messiah when he showed up. You ever wonder why Jesus kept looking at the people at a healing gate, go show yourself to the religious leaders. Why? Because this is what the Messiah is supposed to do. They should recognize this, and they never did. Think about it. The ones who were supposed to recognize Christ crucified him. When we're so focused on misusing the name to achieve or to advance our own preferences, it is so possible for us to miss God in the process and to never involve him in it. We could spend our whole lives attending church, being good and moral, and hear these words from Jesus. But I never knew you. I didn't make it up. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, some of you are gonna look at me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, do miracles in your name, cast out demons in your name? Do you see the little phrase in your name, misusing your name? Didn't we do that? And Jesus said, but I never knew you. Then he says, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Doesn't that sound like a good list of things that they were doing? But because they didn't know Jesus, all the things they were doing were like what? Filthy rags. Doesn't Isaiah tell us that? It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. We cannot leverage the name of God trying to accomplish something that God is not a part of and God is not involved in. That's the meaning of that verse, that's the meaning of the commandment. That's the reason why he gives it. Ultimately, God is saying, don't do this. Why? So that you don't miss me. I don't want you to miss me. Isn't that crazy that even from the beginning, God is inviting us into a relationship with himself. So that's why we take communion as a reminder. This is what he paid for so that we would not miss him. Not so we, we could be good and moral and have cute little church services if Jesus never showed up, but transformed lives, relationship with God would never be a reality if Jesus never came took a cross, died, took the wrath of God and came back to life. It would be pointless. So this time, just spend some time in silence asking God, is there anything in my life that is not pleasing to you? Maybe you even ask this question, have I elevated traditions, personal traditions, personal preferences higher than a command of God? For that sin. And we ask God, okay, I'm so sorry. And the reason we confess it, why? We want intimacy with God. We don't obey God because we want to be saved. We obey God because we are. Christians, that's what we do it for. So as we prepare for communion, go ahead and take that time right now.